I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers who've been working in the field for well over 25 years. You always make us sound so old. Anyway, through this podcast, <laughs> Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you our knowledge and our challenges. Our foibles. Lots of stories and ideas how to create the most unique landscape for you and your family. And today we're truly talking about inspiration, how to get inspired, how we get inspired and what things to look for to get inspired. Yes. And we're going to center on English gardens or there's so many gardens. So I didn't say European gardens because I think I think maybe we could just start with England since English gardens are sort of the Louvre of gardens. And I say that because the Louvre in Paris has some of the most famous and fabulous art pieces that there's nothing to be done. They're perfect. And when I went to England years ago, I looked at the gardens and I felt the same way. And I know you studied there as well, right, Michael? I, I actually studied in the south of France, and okay. uh, but I spent a lot of time in England. And you're right, the English gardens are absolutely amazing. They're amazing. And um, that's pretty much where I cut my teeth with my designs. I was a landscape designer already, but it was after I went to England and really, really studied how they do things. And, and just a word of um, wisdom that you should know, because so many of my clients say, oh, I want that English garden. Some of these fabulous English gardens that you see in magazines and that you see in books, they have teams of gardeners. So when something is expired, done blooming, out it goes into the uh, greenhouse and then something new goes in so if your garden doesn't look like one of these english estate gardens no worries we do things a little differently here <laughs> absolutely and 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 what roberta's saying is true a lot of the big estate gardens had uh, a full staff that was constantly keeping it great i mean locally you know uh, people in the united states i mean there are gardens that we'll, we can talk about but like if you go to disneyland and you're always wondering why does it always look all the annuals are always blooming why does it always look absolutely wonderful? You never see any dead plants or de dead flowers, or normally you don't. And that's because when Disneyland closes, there's a whole city behind the scenes. Um, 11, 12, 13 gardeners come out and they spend all night taking out the old dead stuff and putting in the new, taking out, uh, cutting all the old blossoms. So it's constantly being renewed. Unlike our own, we don't have at least most of us don't have, a team of gardeners to constantly renew our landscaping. That's true. You know, if you do want to see something very much like an English garden here on the West Coast, there is Filoli Gardens, and um, that's F-I-L-I-O, no, F-I-L-O-L-I, -I -L -L -I, Filoli. And those that's in uh, Mountain, not Mountain View, uh, right above Palo Alto. Woodside. Woodside, thank you. It's about an hour and a half drive, and um, you'd have to check online to find out when they open for the season. But um, Filoli was, the gardens were built by the man who started PG&E and also the Empire Mines up in Nevada City. Right. And, um, the Byrne they, family. The Byrne family. They are, and they also owned, at one point, Matson Shipping Lines and had the uh, cruise ships from Hawaii back to here. But those are stunning gardens, and they're up kept by a team of gardeners and I think a lot of the, some of the gardeners too are interns and learning um, 
But it's absolutely fabulous. And if you go through the seasons, you'll see when the bulbs get planted, when the bulbs in spring are in bloom, and then when they're done, the dahlias, but they have a stunning knot garden, perennials, espaliered fruit trees. I mean, really, if you want to get a sense without having to go to England of an English garden, I would highly recommend going to Filoli Gardens. And for those of you in the back, back east, there's another place called Longwood Gardens that you can go that is, again, very reminiscent of what you would see in a European garden or an English garden, sometimes in parts of it also French gardens. Um, the biggest difference in, you know, a lot of people are saying, what is the biggest difference between like a French garden and an English garden and even an Italian garden? And if you go back in history, you'll see that the the French, especially the French Versailles was one of the first, and some of the, the Italian gardens, they were very much more rigid. They were straight lines, not, uh, if not gardens, everything was very straight, everyone, everything was very geometric. The English gardens, Sir Lancelot Brown, or uh, his nickname was Capability Brown, was one of the first designers to actually incorporate the use of a gentle curve. Um, Ha-ha walls, these low rock walls, gentle mounding and everything. Um, he, he took a lot of the rigidity out of the European design that you see in a lot of the, the French designs and also in some of the Italian designs and relaxed it. And that's what makes that's why people love the English design so much is because it's a lot less rigid and it's a lot more relaxed. Well, that's true. However, let's go a little bit further to 1889 and we have Gertrude Jekyll, that's J-E-K-Y-L-L, who brought um, the, the, the even softer perennial border gardens to England. And um, so when you see these beautiful border gardens with perennials and um, they kind of start low and they graduate higher t until you get to the back wall. It was Gertrude Jekyll who, who brought that type of gardening. And I believe they're, um, they have been renovating for the last few years her great garden because, you know, like so many of these places, they go into disrepair when the people die. But she was one of my inspirations um, for for planting, for perennials. And um, now perennials are not just flowers, but the perennial flowering flowers and the way that um, they're planted. These people, <laughs> these gardeners and Gertrude Chico especially, they knew how big and how tall something got, what color they were, when they bloomed, when they were done. And they would they would, in fact, she was a painter and her eyesight go, got so bad that she went, she turned to gardening. And um, these these perennial borders that are very English now look like paintings. They're just fabulous. And so, you know, there's lots of resources if you want to create that. But it does take a bit of study, you know, to know what you're doing. Right. And for those of you that don't know the difference or kind of wondering, a perennial is a plant that you put in the ground and it blooms, of course, but it comes back every year. Whereas an annual has, it blooms for the season, very vibrant, and then it dies and it doesn't come back. So you have to replant it. So in a lot of the, the English gardens, they use the perennial gardens, which helped a little bit with you, you weren't constantly having to replant it. Whereas in a lot of the European, especially Versailles and the French gardens, they originally used annual planting. So they planted for the season. It would look amazing. But then you'd have to come back the next season and plant new things. So again, um, and for 
those of us that are thinking in terms of we want lots of color, using perennials is great because as a, in the wintertime, it won't be blooming, but in the spring, the next spring, they come back. So you're not spending all this time and money replanting, replanting, replanting. Right, right. So, you know, we talked about getting your foundation plants in, so um, that's important as well. Now, um, another fabulous garden um, in, in England is called Sissinghurst. And Sissinghurst, um, the woman and her husband that lived there was uh, Vida Sackwell, Sackville West. And she um, is the one that originated the moon garden, which is all white planting, because she literally loved to garden at night. She'd have them set up lan lanterns and would garden. And the moon garden, from the wisteria that bloomed white to everything else in the garden bloomed white. And that's called a moon garden. And I have several clients that want... Um, that they have wanted a moon garden. So you might think about, um, you know, if that's attractive to you, a place in your garden, not the whole garden, but a place in your garden, maybe a place where you like to go out in the evening and sit of, of creating a moon garden. And it's wonderful because you use green plants, white plants, and gray. And when, the, when literally the moon is out, because of those colors, especially the white and the gray, um, it reflects the light, and that's why they call it a moon garden, because it's, it actually is almost like there's lights on it. it. It's pretty spectacular. It's beautiful. It's like a fairy garden. And again, now that we're so many of us are working from home and the kids are at home, you know, to have a little fairy place that you create for the children and yourself um, would be really magical. And also the, the children would learn about it, and they would also learn um, – learn to respect and love what those plants do in the moonlight. So that, yeah, so that's wonderful. One of the things that as, as we're talking about gardens and, you know, we mentioned California, Philoli, we mentioned Empire Mine, but, you know, as you're going all of it, if, if some of you happen to be listening from other parts of the world or the country, there are other places where you can go, as I said, Longwood Gardens, um, that, that the Vanderbilt Estates, um, oh, yeah. they also have some of the most spectacular gardens because again, um, the United States, you know, we, when, when we came from England, we brought a lot of the sensibilities that the people knew in Europe and especially in England. And so when they came to the United States, they wanted to emulate what they had in England. And so a lot of that not only was the architecture, but the same thing was the garden design. So you'll find areas in the United States where it's very reminiscent of what you would see in Europe. That's true. Um, speaking of that, um, Thomas Jefferson, he brought so many, he was an avid gardener and, um, he brought so many different plants from the, you know, what they called the other worlds, um, to, to, to the USA. And, um, I think everything from bananas and pineapples to all kinds of flowers he would collect. And then he would also send emissaries to different countries. And um, he he has uh, he had and still there you can go. That's another garden you can go look at. 170 varieties um, of it, of fruit in his garden. So that's Monticello or uh, yeah, did I say it right? Monalto. Uh, Jefferson yeah, Monticello. Yeah, that's yeah. That, and that's so and, and he brought vegetables. He brought all kinds of things. So um, it's it's really a wonderful study. And if you if you are serious about gardening. You might want to look into this because the English garden is um, 
I mean, it's charming, it's beautiful, but it does take a little bit of work. So, um, but all the information is there. Now, another great place, and you could tell your favorite places too, Michael, um, that I went to, and I spent a lot of time in East Sussex. I have um, family there. And there's a place called Penshurst Place. It is massive. I'm sure, um, you know, you, you've seen castles and of, in gardens in, in, of England. And this is one of those massive ones. And believe it or not, over 500 years ago, the owner of Penshurst Place was gambling. And he lost, and he lost Penshurst Place. He put that up for, you know, instead of money, if you could believe it. Anyway, so it is a fabulous garden and like so many gardens in England because the winds sweep down in, into the valley especially in East Sussex and Kent um, they have walled gardens we don't need to do that here we have fences you know for our yards but um, in their walled gardens and there's also the book the secret garden there were doors into these gardens and it's perfectly okay to create you know rooms in your own garden you don't have to build walls but just like Michael was saying with the with the walls short walls or little ha-has, that's what they were called, you could create different rooms in your garden to create the same effect. Absolutely. Um, you know, as you're traveling, that's that's one of the things that I say to people, is, and sometimes they wonder, where you get, where do you, i.e. myself, and uh, get your inspiration, or where should we, what, what should we look at? And traveling is one of, you know, when the pan pandemic um, subsides and you can travel again, is a great way to see it. Um, two years ago, my wife and I went to Spain, and I will tell you, Barcelona is amazing. Some of the, the uh, Park Guil in uh, for Gaudi, the gardens there were just amazing. The colors, the flowers, the the art in the garden, the the um, the the sculptures that that he used mosaic work to accent for colors and everything. I mean, Spain is a plethora of just seeing inspiration, just absolutely wonderful. And of course, you can't go better. I mean. Um, Roberta's talking about England, which is just amazing for gardening, but so is Italy. I have to say, you will see some of the most spectacular in Florence and also in, in Venice, some of the most spectacular gardens you will ever see. And a lot of it were the old Medici estates, um, the very wealthy family, the Medici family created these gardens that even today are just they're to die for. You just, you know, uh, Villa d'Este in Italy, um, the, the, the sculptures and the topiaries and the waterways and the gardens are, I mean, if that doesn't inspire you, nothing will. <laughs> well, you know, um, if we can't travel right now. Most of us can't travel right now. And um, one thing that I do, and I am not ashamed, is when I see a great planting combination, I rip it off. So if I see something like I remember years ago driving by um, a building and it was it was spring. And so the shrub Photinia, which is an evergreen shrub, mainly used for hedging in the spring, it has its new growth has red, red leaves is known for that. But they had it planting in combination with forsythia. And in the spring, forsythia, before it gets its leaves, is covered in yellow flowers. So you have this vibrant red and this vibrant yellow coming together. And, and I use that all the time. And that's, that's something that people love is to have some interest throughout the year. So don't be afraid if you see, well, you could, there are the apps that you could identify plants. But if you see some great combinations, write them down. 
I do that all the time. If you go to Berkeley or the Berkeley Botanical Garden, beautiful stuff. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And if there isn't a sign that says what they are, take a picture of it, go to your local nursery and say, I saw these. What are they? And tell me the specifics about it. And most nursery people will say, okay, that's a Photinia, that's Forsythia, that's a Delphinium, and they can, they'll identify it. And then you can either look them up or you can find out more information at the nursery. But that's a great idea. I mean, um, that's one of the best ways to get inspired is as you're coming around, even in public buildings and public gardens, it, you don't have to travel. You can just go around and see a little tidbit, a little planting area that you just go, I just love the way that looks. Take a picture of it. Um, and that's what's so great about having cell phones and then, you know, get it identified and then you can emulate that. And that's the best form of a compliment is to be able to, to copy and emulate things that you've seen that you love. Mm -hmm. And there are apps um, for your phone that will you can take a picture and it, it will identify the plant for you. And if you do it locally, then you know that it's going to grow locally in your garden. So often um, people look in magazines and they see, oh, hibiscus, bougainvillea. These are things that it's just too cold in the winter. They die. So if you if you check your neighborhood or, you know, your city, then you're going to find um, the plants that that thrive as well. Um, you know, another place that I went to, I don't know if you've ever been to Hever Castle, Michael. Hever Castle is the home of Anne Boleyn. And we all know what happened to Anne Boleyn, right? She right, lost right. her head over Henry VIII. But... Um, when you go there, it was later bought by the Astor family, very, very wealthy American family. And they brought in, talk about art for your garden, they brought in Greek sculptures. I mean, over 2,000-year-old fabulous sculptures in urns um, in, their, in the gardens there and really put so much into that. But the, the beauty of when you visit these, when, if you can go to Europe, is you're walking the same grounds that these historical figures not only walked, but I mean, at one time, a young Henry VIII rode into the courtyard looking for Anne Boleyn. And of course, he already had, as a mistress, her sister, but you know, that was Henry VIII. So um, that's also a wonderful part of, uh, part of seeing the gardens is also seeing the history. Yeah, you could take back and make it into your garden as well. And again, I mean, if you can't travel, I mean, there's virtual. Um, I'm finding that online there there are virtual tours of places, but also there are some interesting movies. One of the, a little movie that was starred Kate Winslet. Uh, it was called A Little Chaos. It was all it was about a landscape architect who a woman landscape architect who worked on Versailles. Versailles. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, that was a such a wonderful, wonderful, I mean, the music is wonderful, the place was wonderful, and as I said, it was just such an incredible uh, movie because of the of visual beauty, and watching it was just wow. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really fun, and you know, I consider myself a complete plant nerd. I, I'm like that, um, like one of the Muppets. When I see plants, I have to name it, you know, it's like the Count, I have to count. And for me, I have to name plants when I see them. And um, I just love plants so much. I'm so um, I'm so overjoyed when I see something new blooming in the garden. Like for right now on the West Coast here in California, all the hellebores, which are also known as lentil, Lenten roses, they're all in bloom. And everything else has lost its leaf. And here are these beautiful flowers, just clusters on them. So beautiful. 
I love those. Yeah. And they're one of the few things in the middle of winter that's still blooming. And, and they are. They're pretty spectacular. They are. Yeah. So they're blooming now. And then my um, my my paper whites are coming gone. My snowdrops, I have the last one. And my ranunculus are coming. So these types of plants are bulbs. And um, sometimes they come back. Sometimes they don't, depending on you know, what you buy, but there's, um, if you are interested in gardening and really starting to learn, it's really a good idea. There's so many different little journals you could buy, or you could make yourself and you start, you know, map it out for the 12 seasons and, and explore when the bulbs go in, when this blooms, when that blooms. And right now we have time and it's time to, you know, nurture your home and your garden. Oh, I want to mention a fabulous movie. you got to see it if you have a chance on Netflix. It's called Kiss the Ground. And it's all about our soil and how when we feed our soil and and do things sustainably, it just changes the environment. Have you seen that? I haven't. Oh, you've got to watch it. it. Yeah, I haven't. It's absolutely fabulous. And so like anything with gardening, it starts with the soil. Soil, soil, soil. And then irrigation, of course. But uh, when you tend to the soil, you're going to have beautiful plants. If you just throw them in from the nursery, remember, they've been on drugs, these plants. They've been been getting doses of stuff to make them bloom and grow. And you stick them into some dead soil or soil that hasn't been, um, you know, really amended. They're not they're just not going to thrive. They're not going to look like the garden magazines that you're hoping they, they will look like. Right. And remember, I mean, you can take that's the the that's the beauty of um, photography is that you can have one area that is just thriving and looking absolutely amazing. And the rest of the yard looks terrible, but you just photograph that one thing. And the truth is, when someone looks at the, the photo, the thing that's amazing about that is they think that the entire garden looks like that. But the truth is, it's only one little area. So, you know, again, the, the miracles of photography is just pretty amazing. Right. So what he's trying to say is don't get disappointed or dis- you know, disenchanted if only a little bit of your garden looks great. But, um, you know, you can work on it and have everything look great. I mean, my garden looks great, but if I look really close, then I see the work I need to do. <laughs> so, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've got my own blinders. Right. And that's what I say for inspiration. Even if one area looks good and the rest of it doesn't, hype, uh, concentrate on that one great area and then expand. So rather than, I mean, you know, if you have a lot of land or if you have a lot of garden to do or landscaping to do, if you concentrate on one little area, get it looking good and then work, you know, just keep going on. It's great. But finish one area, one, one area at least that looks great so that you get some inspiration from it. Right. And, um, you know, in the dead of winter, of course, if you're back east, you're buried under snow for the most part. But um, you can also um, there are nurseries still open. And if you were to pot up some um, primroses, which have come out now and put them in the house just to brighten up things indoors, that's a lovely way. And there's all types of primroses. They're just so beautiful. And and they're in right now. They're blooming. And remember, these are grown in hothouses. So even if you're in the snow, you can still go to the nurseries, the indoor nurseries and buy them and, you know, spruce up your house and bring some color. And for me, that brings joy. I agree. I agree. Well, I could go on and on. We are actually very fortunate. I don't know if we're, yeah. Okay. We're very fortunate because we have 
fabulous weather right here in California. On the other hand, we are not getting the rainfall that we normally get. And because of our warm temperatures, everything's blooming early. So who knows what we're in for for the summer again. But um, it's important to enjoy each season and bring what you can into the house or even plan what you're going to bring out of the house into the garden now. This is the time to start dreaming and ordering seeds and, you know, start preparing. And you could start preparing your beds, too, if it's not frozen outside. And if nothing else, you can start thinking about getting inspired because everything starts with that little seed of inspiration. Yes. And there's so much on YouTube and on virtual tours. And um, next week, we could talk a little bit about the big flower shows, the Chelsea Flower Show, the Hampton Court Flower Show. I mean, it's drop dead unbelievable. And, and all of these things, when I, you know, when I go see these gardens or even local gardens, I come back inspired. Same when I go to an art gallery or museum. I'm seeing beautiful works and it inspires me. So now's the time to, to do that since we have the time. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. And we are and digging we are deep. deep. And so one day we'll get that together. But we're here to give you inspiration as well. <laughs>